You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. I'm, I'm so thankful to, to know you guys. I'm so thankful that I get to, that I get to like, be a benefit from your generosity and the way that you love the way that you care, the way that you teach, the way that you lead, the way that you inspire, the, just the example that you guys are. Thank you so much for being that for us. Aren't they so cool? Can we give them another hand? They're, they're, they're cool. I love it when he wears his, his Dodgers hat, right? He's just, he's just a cool guy. I wish I could be that. Yeah, well, we get to pastor, we get to pastor in a church called Hope Tri-Cities in eastern Washington, as, as Ron was saying. And, uh, and I just want to say this. We, we're staying at this House of Blessing, is that what it's called right here, this little house you guys have? And we have three boys that are staying with us there. Our boys are 13, 11, and 9. They're beautiful. They have tons of energy, and we're enjoying. We have, I don't think we've ever spent this much time in this area before, in the Portland area, right? This is the, mo- the most, it's beautiful here. It is beautiful. So just, as, just so you know right now, I'm telling you this now. It's not in my notes, but if any like position opens up where you like need cars washed or something that's nothing something no one wants to do like let me know I'll apply I'll throw, throw in my application because this is a beautiful place to live out here it'd be great to be here thank you guys again for allowing us to to, to be here um, to speak to this beautiful community of faith here I know that you guys have been working through a series uh, the called the gospel story right and we're finding Jesus in the Old Testament correct um, so so this this is the last sermon in the series. As, as we close out today, I'm going to be talking about opposition. Everyone say opposition. opposition. Do you ever feel opposition? Do you ever feel like you're in a struggle or in a battle or in a fight? Do you ever feel like, man, when will this end? When will this suffering, this pain stop? Do you ever feel that way? Raise your hand real quick for me just so I can get, okay, a lot of us in here do. I know I do. Um, in fact, my whole life has been, I've felt that way. And I think if, if we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us have felt like we're in a constant battle some way or another. I mean, even, even my, my best friends growing up, all my best friends growing up were a result from a fist fight that we had. So we, we got in a fist fight, then later on we're like, okay, you're cool. And then we just started hanging out, we became best friends. But, but we're all facing opposition all the time. Even right now, this very moment, some of you, in, 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 even right now or in a few minutes, you will face the opposition of trying to stay awake, possibly, right? Right? Some, we're, we're facing the, the struggle of staying upright with gravity pushing down on us, right? But realistically, or, or more, more real, um, we're, we're constantly facing struggles, right? There's all kinds of struggles, whether financially or spiritually or emotionally or relationally. We're going to be, like many of us, we have to fight. We have to fight to stay healthy. We have to fight to to stay, to keep, steward the resources that God has given us well. We have to fight, uh, you know, sometimes we we have to, we have opposition at home or at work or our neighbors, right? Sometimes, you know, your neighbor throws leaves over onto your side of the fence and you don't like that. And so there's opposition there, right? There's opposition internally, right? Some of us, and I'll raise my hand on this one as we, there's emotional na- damage that's happening. You, you wrestle with trauma or depression or anxiety or fear or uncertainty. There's this constant opposition coming at us. I don't like saying this, but there will always be an opposition. There will always be an opposition. 
And the, the sad part is, is that in our society, a lot of times we, we don't like that. We don't like pain. Our society is, is pain adverse, is suffering adverse. And we say, man, I don't want that. So we avoid it. We run from it. We, 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 we try to juke it out. We try to get away from pain by any means. We say, man, I don't want this. And it, and it makes it worse. It never makes it better. It always makes it worse. And it prolongs healing. It prolongs, it prolongs growth. It prolongs where God wants us to be. So what if we became friends with the opposition that we face, that comes at us? What if we befriended that? So today, today's message is when we face opposition. And we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, was what I was asked to, to communicate from. And I love the book of Nehemiah. I love the story. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to read, I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. I'm going to give some text. And I'm, we're going to look, look at how it applies to our lives this morning. All right, so this morning as we look at Nehemiah, just a little bit of context, Nehemiah and Ezra are the last two historical books in the Old Testament, uh, before the New Testament. We see, uh, we see that um, Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book, and, and later on it was, they, were, they were split apart. But, but, the, but the reason why these books were written, the reason why Nehemiah and Ezra were written were, were threefold. They were recording history of Israel. And what they were wanting to record was, one, is show God's sovereignty, that God is in control, and that God is using us. He's, he, he, he will use anyone to fulfill his good plans that he has for people. And so he uses King Cyrus. He uses Nehemiah. And he will use you. And you'll say, you know what, I'll use a, a normal cupbearer, a government worker person. I'm, I'm going to use this person to fulfill the good deeds that I want. All right, so it, it shows God's sovereignty. And the other thing is, to document the fulfillment of God's promises. The Israelites, there was a prophecy that said that they would be delivered from their exile after 70 years. And they were documenting this. Okay, is this really going to happen? 70 years uh, after they were exiled, they were released, and they were documenting these things. Um, God wants to fulfill promises in your life. So this is written so that we could see what God did for the Israelites, and this is also written so that God, God continues to fulfill his promises. Right? And thirdly, he, uh, th this book is written to describe the rebuilding of the temple, to describe the rebuilding of the walls, and to describe the rebuilding of people's spiritual, spiritual life. I mean, can you imagine you've lost your home, you've been exiled for 70 years, so there's generations that are experiencing oppression, injustice, uh, they're, 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 they're experiencing humiliation, they're defenseless, they're, they're suppressed and oppressed. And, and now they, they, get to experience, there's, they get to experience some kind of spiritual and emotional rebuilding that God wants to bring to their lives. And so this was all captured uh, within the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So we look at this, we, we find ourselves with Nehemiah. He's, he's involved. God puts a burden on his heart to say, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. Again, just a regular person like you and I says, I'm going to do something about this. I know that we've been in this state the, the, these Israelites have been defenseless for generations now. I want to do something. And so God places this burden on, on his heart, and he gets to work, right? And so now we go to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to re read verses 1 through 14. Again, imagine you've been, you're, you're a person, you've, you've heard this prophecy that at some point there's going to be re restoration. At some point there's going to be salvation. At some point some, something's going to happen. And now three generations into this, it hasn't happened yet. And then Nehemiah shows up, and you're wondering, you're wondering, man, 
is anything really going to happen? Will anything ever change? Will I always stay in this place? Right? And Nehemiah says, I'm going to rebuild the walls. So here, verses 1 through 14, chapter 4. Sambalat was very angry when he, he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from rubbish heap, from a rubbish heap and, a shard, and shard ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So these two guys, Sam Ballot and, and Tobiah, they're like your classic uh, school bullies. You know, you got Sam Ballot, the leader, and Tobiah, he's like the dumb sidekick who has really bad insults, right? That's, what, that's what's happening here. Okay, so we have these guys, and they're hurling, they're mocking, they're hurling insults, and then Nehemiah does something, and this is where we get to start to look at, look at what he, how we face opposition. He says, then I prayed. Here is, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives of a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. And then it's like he's keeping a diary, and something else happened. Verse 6, he sa it says, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. And when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead, that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repa repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. And the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and, and, their, and, and their work. Verse 12, the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, and they're, they're bringing bad news. They will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. All right. Verses 1 through 14 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. What can we learn in regards to facing opposition? And what, where can we find Jesus in all this? The main idea for today's message, if you're taking notes, here it is. We face opposition with a brick in one hand and a sword in the other. Right? It's, the brick speaks to the practicality of what happens when we face opposition, spiritually, emotional, relational, any, any kind of, uh, of opposition that we face. And the sword speaks to the spiritual aspect of it. In the New Testament, we see the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians is God's word, his truth. So Nehemiah... We can see here he's, he faces his opposition with practical steps and spiritual steps. And when we look at this, the very first thing that Nehemiah does, and it, it may look like stopping and quitting. It may look like inactivity, 
But it's the most important thing that we can do when we face opposition. The first thing he does is he takes the matter to prayer. Right? He says in verse 4, Then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. I think a lot of us, for me, when I look at this, well, yeah, that's a simple thing. Right? That's a, that's a, that's a, not even a question. Of course I'm going to pray about this. A lot of times we think this way. We think, oh, no, duh. Like, I'm going to do that. But how often do we actually do that? For me, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, sometimes when I face a problem, when I face a situation, I tend to go to find the solution before I get into prayer. Right? I, I, and we, we say, yeah, of course I'm going to pray. But, but, but the very first thing that Nehemiah does is he says, I'm going to pray first. Before I do anything else, I'm going to pray. A lot of times when I, when I look at situations, I, I, I'll say things, may, may, sometimes subconsciously it'll be like, well, I don't really want to bother God with this. <laughs> right? Or this is kind of a small thing. I think I can figure this out. Lord, Lord, I got this. Don't worry about it. Or I'm going to prove this. I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove this to the Lord. I can do this. I got this. And instead of praying about it and asking his direction, I make a mess of it myself. It's like when my boys, they're, again, they're 13, 11, and 9, when they were younger, they, liked, they loved smoothies. They still love smoothies. And they love making, helping make smoothies. And they would ask, hey, can we have a smoothie, Mom? Or can we have a smoothie, Dad? And we'd say, yeah, sure we can. Just wait a little bit. And before we knew it, we look in the kitchen, and the kitchen is in complete chaos, right? And, and so they, they'll either put way too much of something or not enough, or when there's a brand new gallon of milk, they'll, you know, they're not very strong, so they'll dump, they'll dump it all over the place. So there's complete chaos, right? But what if they would have waited for mom and dad? Not that we would do all of it for them, but what if they waited to receive a little bit of direction before they got started? Right? We get accustomed to ask God, ask God later in the battle to rescue us versus seeking his direction ahead of time to give us clear direction, right? We ask God to help us with our afflicted hearts in the middle of the situation, which sounds good and noble, but what if before the dilemma, we ask God to strengthen our faith, give us direction, right? I think what happens when I, when I do not ask God for direction, I'm demonstrating that with my action that I don't really trust him. That I don't really, God, I don't really need your help. I got this. I think that's why Jesus taught us to pray in, in, in the New Testament. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? He's teaching us how to pray. He's not only teaching us how to pray, but he's helping us understand how to speak to him in a rich, meaningful way, intimate way. And he's saying, this is how we talk to God. This is how we listen to, to the Lord. But he is the Lord. It's his will. Thy will be done, not my will. He is king. I am not. We all want saviors. Right? We all want saviors. But sometimes, sometimes I don't want a Lord. Right? Sometimes, man, I, I want to be rescued from my situation. But sometimes, man, I don't know if I want to really follow all everything that God is directing me to. When Nehemiah shows us here, he says, you know what, I'm going to receive direction first. I'm going to pray. I'm going to take the matter to prayer. When facing opposition, I'm going to move into prayer first. Right? The second thing he does is he moves into action. 
moves into action. Again, it was kind of like a, a diary, kind of just recording what, what's been happening as they're facing opposition. It, it says in verse 6, at last the wall was completed half its height around the entire city. The people had worked with enthusiasm. So what does it mean to move into action and do something about it? Um, and just when we face an issue, God says, don't stop. Go at it. Go at it. When, when we face an oppos- some, some kind of conflict, go towards it. You know, I'm, just for disclosure, you know, after service, don't go get in a fight in the parking lot, okay? I know someone will be like, well, pastor said I got to face my opposition. You're it, bro. Let's get, you feeling froggy, let's hop. Come on. But he says, he said, like, when we, when we face conflict, when, we, when, we, when there's something, when there's an issue between you and I, I don't know what your name is, sir, but, but if there's an issue between you and I, what's, what's going to happen is we, we are confronted with something. And let's say we're friends and then there's, a, there's an issue. When it, it's going to drive us, if we do it right, it's going to drive us towards intimacy and closeness. Right? If there's a conflict between my wife and I and we, res- we move to resolve it, it's always going to drive us towards closeness towards intimacy, to a greater understanding of one another and, and, our, and our backgrounds and, and who we are. It's always going to drive us towards something good as we, as we face it, as we move towards it. And, it, and it. and we see here in the text that they worked with enthusiasm. They got after it. They said, we know there's opposition, but we got after it, and there was enthusiasm in it. It reminds me of James chapter 1, everybody's favorite verse, right? If you, if, if you, read, if you read through James... It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. And so they had, they had a great opportunity for great joy because they had great op- opposition. And it goes, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So as we face things, as we face things, God, God wants us to do something about it. And he wants us to guard the work God has already done. Guard the work that God has already done. We see this in text. It says that when Sanballat and his, all his cronies, they became furious. They wanted to attack the Israelites. Verse 9, it says, but we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. There's, a, there's the brick in one hand and the, the sword in the other, right? God has done some really good things at, at this point. He's helped them build camaraderie he's helped them build unity he's helped them build something and they're, they're working with enthusiasm and now they're, they're supposed to guard it and i want to say this god has done some really good things in your life he's done some amazing things in your life guard that protect that in your marriage those of you uh, those of us that are married in this room protect your marriage keep those date nights keep those boundaries keep prayer and i'm, I'm not saying this because i'm perfect at it my wife and i have a lot of to, to still work at some of these things but but just because we haven't argued in a while doesn't mean we relax. Keep guarding the good work that God has done in your life. Our marriage, man, we face, we face quite a bit. A lot, of, a lot of demons that I've had to face in, from my past. Addiction, anger, trauma. We've weathered a lot of storms. And Laura's an amazing lady. She's a strong lady. And Ron, you probably, I don't know, I don't know, I mean, you probably say some, some similar things about your, your wife, but... Laura, you, she, she, my wife is like a rose. She's beautiful. She smells good. But man, if you hold her wrong, she will cut you. <laughs> she will cut you, bro. From the very, from the very start, from the very start, I've just got a quick story for you guys. From the very start, 
uh, of our marriage, I had to protect the good thing that God was doing in my life and my marriage. We had a perfect wedding. We had a perfect wedding. Uh, we had all our friends and family were there. We had all great, some great food. The wedding was, was just spot on. And then I asked some friends of mine to, to go to, to, a, to the hotel that we rented where we were going to be staying at. It was a nice hotel in Seattle to fix it up, do, do more, to make it not just be a hotel room, right? So I asked them to bring chocolate-covered strawberries, put Nora Jones on the CD on repeat, put uh, petals everywhere, candles, and that sort of thing. And so they went over and fixed up the room. So when we showed up to this nice hotel room, it wasn't just a nice hotel room. It was, like, personalized. It was perfect, right? So we get in there, and I'm just going to get a little PG-13 for a second. But we get in there, and we decide to go in the jacuzzi first, right? We're like, okay, we're, we're just... We're going to go there, right? We just go for it. And so we go in the jacuzzi. And I'm taking this all in. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And she, she starts, we're in the water, and she starts to do this thing. She had all this product and bobby pins in her hair. And so she starts to do this thing where she gets all, like, like sexy, you know. She's, like, going like this. And, and I'm taking it all in. She's beautiful. The room's amazing. There's incense in there. And I start, I, I go, wait, that's not incense. What is that? And I'm like, I, it just dawned on me really quick. Um, it, it was a familiar smell. It, it was, it, I could see behind her head, there was a glow that was happening. And there was a, she had so much product in her hair that also, this candle, this little candle that was there, kind of lit her hair on fire. It was like a 4th of July sparkler. And it was like crackling. Was, and it was just this fire just starts shooting up out of her head. And, and I had to protect the thing. It was like Nehemiah was telling me, protect the good thing. The good work God is doing in your life. Do something. And I had no time to even tell her anything. She had no idea her hair was on fire. I took my, my bride's, my new bride's ears, grabbed them, and I dunked her head in the water. And I baptized my wife, right? I just boosh real fast. And she comes up. She's got mascara running down her face. She's like, why would you do something? I'm like, your hair, honey, your hair was on fire. Nehemiah was telling me that I got to protect the good work that God has been doing in my life. And, and uh, sure enough, she, at first she thought I was crazy, but then she saw the hair floating all around and... I saved, she, did, she, she looked fine afterwards. I, I, was quick, I was quick thinking in that, and I saved, I saved most of the hair. <laughs> so you got to protect the, thing, the good work that God is doing in your life, right? Young people, maybe you're saying, well, I'm not married yet. Well, sometimes I'll get that question asked, well, how do I look for the right person? How do I, how do I find the right person? And I want to say this. That may not be the right question to ask. The question, I think, begins with, with inside our hearts is, Am I guarding the good work that God's done in my heart? Am I guarding my heart? And am I, am I looking to be the right person that someone would want to marry? So I think that's important for us to, we've got to protect what God is doing in our life. We've got to protect the health, steward our bodies well, steward our resources well. We've got to be disciplined. And, I, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not perfect in this, but, but God has done something good in us. Let's protect that. He's, doing, he's done good stuff, good things in your faith. Protect that. Practice or continue to practice your faith. How we, how we protect our faith is we practice it. We, t- we, we put ourselves in situations where we're allowing God to take us into a place where we've got to step off the ledge or step in the boat or step, off, step out of the boat, right? We've got to put, our situ- put ourselves in situations where, where man, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I really do need to lean on God, right? The enemy doesn't play fair because he'll, he'll attack your identity. So we've got to guard the identity that God has given us, the value that God has placed in us. And he'll, he'll use everything from 
the political strife in our nation to doubts that we carry. And li- listen to me, it's good. It's okay to doubt. It's actually good to doubt, but we have to do something about it. We don't just let it fester there. We ask questions. We, 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 we stay in community and we move towards that and say, okay, help. We talk to someone like Pastor Ron or Nanette and say, hey, help me work through this. Or small group leaders, life group leaders, whatever. Help me work through this. Right? The enemy will mess with you. He'll mess with your identity. Protect the good things that God's done, God's been doing in your life. Right? He'll make you second guess who you are and whose you are. Last year, last two Januaries ago, we were driving to a place called Colgate up in the mountains. We were going to take our family sledding. And I hit black ice, lost control of the vehicle, totaled it. My wife ended up breaking three bones in her back, and she had a TBI. And I, and I just, it, it, it messed with me. It still does. Because that voice in my, in my head says, you will, you will always mess up. Look at how you almost ruined your family. And there's things that are going to come up that are going to be like that, where, where the enemy will use situations he doesn't place there, and he will attack your identity. Protect the things that God has done in your life. Protect the hopes and dreams that God has placed in your life. Now, there's some amazing hopes and dreams in this room that maybe have always been stayed quiet. It's time to let them out. Talk to some people. Talk to the Lord about it. And begin to walk, walk that out. Just like, just like the Israelites. You know, they had hopes and dreams to be free, to live with purpose, be secure, be able to plant, be able to grow crops, be all, the, all these different things. There's things that God has placed in you to create and to do. What are those things? Move towards those things. Okay, another sub point to this moving in action is keep clearing the rubble. Keep clearing the rubble. Everyone will say, keep clearing the rubble. Yeah, there we go. It's kind of a tongue twister a little bit, right? Right, but so, so the Israelites, at, at first they start with enthusiasm. They're enthusiastic about the work that they're doing. And, and, and at some point they grow tired. They grew tired, and like all of us would. And they began to complain. They began to say things like, man, this is a lot of rubble. There's a lot of stuff here. Verse 10, it says, it says there's so much rubble to be, re- to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves, right? There's so much here. It's almost like saying for us, there's so, there's so much history, Angel. There's so much stuff in there. There's so much, so much pain and, and so much past. And I don't know if we'll be able to clear everything up. They came to the end of them, themselves, themselves. You ever get to the end of yourself? Get to a place where, man, like, I don't know. There's just too much rubble. There's just too much stuff to pick up. I don't know. I don't know if I can continue to move forward. Right, again, imagine, imagine these people what they're experiencing mentally and spiritually and, and relationally. You got generations of oppression and ridicule and harassment and embarrassment. They don't have any dignity. They're unable to fend for themselves. They're unable to create. They're unable to dream, unable to be at peace and work in purpose. They're at the end of their rope. And they say, there's, there's no way out. I think sometimes we get there. I don't know if I can get out of my coping mechanisms. I don't know. I don't know if I can get out of this downward spiral of the, the the shame that has come from sin, just even from my past. You ever get there? 
You know what? I think some, when, I, when I face those moments, I don't like it. Because we all have, right? At some point, we've all faced those moments where we will. And I don't like it. And I don't like what I'm about to say next because it's, it's, it just doesn't feel good. But, but I think those moments where we're at the end of ourselves are sometimes the m- moments we need most. Right? Sometimes, man, I think, I think those end of the rope moments or events are sacred. Because that's where, that's where we have an opportunity to have real faith kick in and just a rawness of faith kick in. Right? It's easy to trust God when things are good, but man, when we're at the end of our ropes, that's sacred. We can, become, we can come face to face with the heart of God in, in those moments. That's where real faith can begin. And sometimes that's the best place you and I can be in because then God said, now I can do something with this person. So we take action. We don't just freeze up. We clear the rubble. We guard the work that God has done. We, we, we have these practical moments and we have these spiritual moments where we have this brick and the sword. And the last sub point here is we pay attention to the people next to us. We pay attention to the people next to us. It says in verse 12 that the Jews who lived near the enemy, came and told us again and again they will come from all directions and attack us. Notice, it's a Jewish, it's their allies, it's their brothers and sisters saying, hey, you got to stop, stop this madness. They're going to get you, they're going to kill you. you. Just shut down your dreams. They're the ones that were closest to the enemy. I think God calls us to pay close attention to those that are picking up the rubble with us, alongside of us. Those sitting with us in our pain, those walking with us in, in, in the places where, where we're, we're wounded, right? Let's not listen to the, ra- the naysayers and the rafters, right? The armchair quarterbacks, they have no skin in the game, right? They have all the opinions, but they, they, there's nothing there. A couple years ago, actually, okay, so, so we planted a church 2011. Um, my wife and I started going through a lot quite a bit of counseling during, like, shortly after that. And um, about five, five or six years into just pastoring that church, we had a split in our church, and it was painful. And the part, in retrospect, looking back at it, I didn't know it at the time. I thought I was just a terrible leader. I thought, man, I just got to throw in the towel. I, I'm a bad pastor. But what happened was, was we started leading differently. I started leading the, the church differently, and it caused some of the people in the church, some of my leaders in the church, to say, we don't like this. We're going to go this way. And they never told us about it, and they started their own thing, and it was just painful, right? And, and so, so but, but during that time, I was like, man, what am I doing wrong? I'm a, I'm a bad pastor, all these things, right? Well, I, I, I partnered myself with people who were not picking, picking up the rubble next to me. We were kind of doing ministry alongside of each other, but... But we weren't close. We weren't tight. And the moment I started leading differently towards an emesim, towards uh, greater connection, that's when they said, no, we don't like this. And they started to rift, rift away. Who's picking up the rubble next to you? Who are you? Who are you picking up the rubble for as well? Five years ago, we merged with another church. And it was right at, actually right after that little split happened. And we... I thought, man, there's no way I want to merge with another church. A lot of times people think, well, it's not a beautiful thing, two family of faiths coming together. And it's not. 80% of church mergers implode and they just they get destroyed. And, and it's, not, it's, it's because of how we, we handle those church mergers. Uh, but it was, it was a church that was completely different than ours. 
And when, when I was asked to merge with them, I said no at first, but then my pastor, he says, hey, you should pray about this. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. And sure enough, the Lord, the Lord said, you're going to do this. So next time someone asks me to, church, to merge with churches, I'm not going to even pray about it. I'm just going to say no because it was <laughs> – I'm just kidding. Front's <laughs> going like this here. It was difficult. We had two boards or two councils. We had two worship leaders, two children's directors, two everything. And we had completely, it was, it was two different waters coming together. And it was rough. It was rough. And in that season, man, we had hundreds of conversations about this is mission. This is where we're headed. This is where we're going. And people just wanting to do all kinds of different things. And I remember during that season, a friend of mine, again, something I, got, I, I learned, a friend of mine who I thought was picking up rubble with me but wasn't, he, he sits me down. I thought he was going to give me encouragement and, and speak life into me because we were tired. It was, it was a lot. He um, systematically for about two hours, and he had premeditated this, he, he says, um, he just kind of cut down everything that I was doing in life, just me as a person. He says, uh, the church is going to fail. We're not good leaders. Um, he said, what else did he say? Yeah, you're, you're not a good leader. Your church can't fail. If you want to be my friend, if you want to remain my friend, you have to level up as a person. This is actually some actual words that he used. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And then the last one was, was oh, and I have feelings for your wife. And at that moment, I was like, uh, I was, we were sitting down eating, and I took, this, took the fork, and I imagined myself just, just giving, giving a couple of stabs. And I just got, I was so angry. I was so mad. But I left that place, and, I, and God, by God's grace, God showed me that this was just a cry of help for that guy. That guy was not healthy in his marriage. He was not healthy in the Lord. He, was, he just wasn't doing well. And so it allowed me afterwards, some time later, to be able to start speaking into his life and start, start, to, start to help him in his, in his walk with the Lord and his marriage and my, his friendship with me, right? Um, it actually still goes to our church, Ron. He's a good dude. He's a good, he's a good, he's got a good family, I, and he serves at our church. I just don't let him near my wife at all, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> we got, we got to let people pick up rubble in our lives. We got to let them sit in, with us in our pain. And we got to do that for others as well. Because then you really know someone, you really get to be with them. I'm going to go ahead and begin to close, close up here. I'll have Cody come back up here, but just as a summary we have a brick in one hand and a sword in the other. We have a spiritual and practical components. We pray first. We do something about it. And then the last one here is we remember God's promises. We remember God's promises. Nehemiah reminded the Israelites of God's promises, right? It says here in verse 14 that he says, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Right? Nehemiah he, he says, he's saying, remember the promises that God had, has for us. Remember what he's done for the Israelites, all our history. He says, remember, God said he would rebuild the temple. Remember, God said he would rebuild, he would restore the walls. He would, and he would restore us spiritually. Remember those things. We're, we're not in a situation like the Israelites were back then. And just, in, you know, politically and the strife that they were facing. But I believe that whether we believe in God or not, whether you're following Jesus or not, I believe there's going to be a moment in your life 
therefore, you're going you're gonna to yearn for restoration in your life. You're going to yearn for something, something to be restored in your heart. And Nehemiah is, is, a, is a type of Jesus. In the, he's a shadow of Jesus. He's a shadow of the, the Messiah in the Old Testament. He, he, God used him to bring restoration to a place. He, God used him to, to help the captives have liberation. He used him to heal the hurting. He used him to rescue the lost. And that's who Jesus is. Nehemiah was that for the Israelites, and Jesus is that for us and for the rest of the world until until the day that he returns. He will restore, he'll continue to restore the broken. He will continue to set captives free. He will continue to heal the hurting and rescue the lost. So this morning, as I begin to close up here, um, I'm going to challenge you with this. Let Jesus help you contend against the things that oppose you. Say, Lord, help, help me, strengthen me. Let Jesus bring people around you to help you to pick up rubble in your life. Let Jesus take you to others who need help clearing the rubble as well in their lives. And let Jesus remind you of what he has promised to all of us and what he's promised to you. Allow him to speak that into your life. I'm going to pray and I'll close up. Father, thank you. That you... You do allow things. You do allow hardship in our lives. And it's, it's not to, to, to hurt us or to maim us, but it's, it's to cause us to lean into you and to trust you. And I pray, God, this morning that any, any kind of opposition that we're looking at, we, we look at it in terms of what is God doing in my life? Lord, how... How are you, how, what are you doing this, and how can you use this situation in my life that will allow me to grow closer to you, closer to others, and allow me to grow, grow closer in the, the mission you place in my life for this community and beyond? Lord, I pray that as we, as we look at our opposition or suffering or pain or affliction, whatever, how, whatever term you want, we want to use, as we look at that, we look at it in, in terms of there's going to be a blessing on the other side of this. Thank you, Jesus for the, how gracious and kind and patient you are with us. Lord, I pray that you bless this beautiful church in every sense of the word, in their health, finances, relationally, missionally, in every sense of the word, Lord, bless them. Let's, let these people continue to be a great beacon of hope and joy in this community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thank you, Angel. That was uh, that was really good, encouraging word, and you did a just wonderful job bringing us in the Old Testament and wrapping it up. Uh, couldn't have been done better than that. And uh, we thank you for for uh, staying with us on this too. I know that's not always the deal to guests to come in and fill some spots that need to be filled, but you did a, a, an excellent job with that. I love the the cleaning up rubble together, and we get to you know, and there's a lot of rubble, you know, in the last few years. <laughs> there's just been a lot of things that we contend with and that we work with, but God is faithful, and we so thank you for that. We are going to pick up the gospel story in the New Testament in September, and so we're going to be studying the gospel of John together, and that is going to be, again, our whole church. We're going to all do it together with our kids, our youth, and our adults. We're going to go through the gospel story as John presents it, and so that's going to be a fun time. So, again, thank you, Angel. Why don't you all stand?
And uh, we have our prayer teams that are up front here. So if you want prayer, if you need prayer before you go, just make your way to these folks here. They'd be glad to pray with you, spend time with you. Out in the lobby, there's uh, the coffee bar, and there's I think there's cookies and all kinds of things out there. So if, if you want to go out there, spend time with each other, you go ahead and do that. Again, thanks for coming. It's been a great day. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day.
Test, 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 test. One, two, one, two. Testing, one, two, three, testing. Good, thanks, Stevie.
thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.